The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I just got one thing for you guys. I want to say thank you to all you guys that have been listening, that have helping the podcast grow episode by episode over the last few years really does mean a lot to me, so I just wanted to say thank you. Instead of peddling stuff to you like I usually do in the intro, just want to say thank you. And if you can give a rating and review, thank you even more. But that's about it. Keep it short, sweet, and simple. Thanks for listening. I really, really appreciate it. And this is episode 172 of Bench with Bubba with our good buddy Matt Modica, recapping the week 8 fantasy extravaganza fab again, however you want to describe it. It happened over the weekend, and Matt and I break it all down and recap it the way you need to get it done. And also recap the Game of Thrones series finale. So welcome to Bench with Bubba, episode 172. everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 172 got a good friend of ours coming back on the show to talk some week five fab action and recap game of thrones series finale set still sounds weird to say that at this point in time you can find him on twitter at ctm baseball our good buddy maddie modica how you doing man uh, i'm doing well thanks for having me uh especially always love talking game of thrones with you yeah, no, there's uh, it's no no disrespect to anybody else I've talked to on this show, but you were the first person I thought of for this episode, and that's why I reached out to you a while ago. Said I got to line up my buddy Matt to uh, talk some Game of Thrones finale. This is this is where it's at. You've been on a bunch to talk about it. We got to nail this one down and get your thoughts on this, and uh, we'll do that at the end. We'll uh, just go as long as we want at the end for all I care, but because uh, there's a lot to talk about, a lot of different differentiating opinions on it. Oh, that there is that you know a lot of you know. Broken hearts out there. I think it's a lot just to do with the show being over as well. You know, that finalization. Yep, that, that's what I think it is. I, uh, I've had people ask me, like, are you sad about it? Well, so, yeah, it stinks. You know, it's a show you've watched for 
a decade on Sunday nights, but am I brokenhearted? Am I going to cry about it? No, like that's just, that's not going to happen. It's a TV show, but yeah, it, it, it stinks that it's gone. We'll, we'll find something new uh, to, to jump on to, but uh, yeah, not, not much will ever compare to what Game of Thrones was, but we will, uh, we'll talk about that here in a bit before we get into the baseball talk. You've been a busy man over there at the athletic. Why don't you everybody know what you got going on these days? Oh uh, yeah. Every uh, weekend I put out the two start pitchers and, I pretty much uh, survey the landscape of starting pitchers. Like this weekend, I hit on uh, four pitchers in general that, you know, guys that have been overperforming, guys we, you know, maybe had high hopes entering the season, uh, like a Martin Perez, uh, Chris Bassett, a.k.a. the Hound. I just love calling him the Hound. Uh, and, you know, a couple of others. But every week it's something different. And But it's always got the two starts there. And Sunday mornings with uh, Al Melkier, I do the almost daily podcast with him. And that's like a uh, pretty much a hitting planner, pitching planner setup with some fab talk involved as well. So, yeah, it's, it's been nothing but uh, great things. The people over there are, are wonderful. Shout out to my boss, Nando DeFino. He's a man who's given me an opportunity on the radio and print. And pretty much, you know, you always need that one person to believe in you. Yep, yep, I understand that full heartedly. So it's awesome stuff. It's been great watching that whole thing grow over to that product at the Athletics. So really awesome stuff. Go give uh, Matt a follow on Twitter at CTM Baseball and his work over at the Athletic. Let's get into some recent news. Not as many injuries as normal, which is really nice for once. I probably jinxed my Thursday show, but we're good for now. Um, Jose Leclerc was horrific Come uh, through early on in the season. Since out being out of the closers role, they've used him as an opener. They've used him in different spots in the bullpen. He's pitched really, really well. Um, you know, the back end pieces for Texas have not panned out since Leclerc was pulled. You got to imagine he's coming back soon. What's your thoughts on Leclerc possibly regaining that role in Texas? Uh, I do not own any shares of Leclerc. And it's not because I didn't like him, because I did like him. I mean, there was that, you know, back of your mind, the control issues that he had in the past. But he really had a phenomenal season last year. And I believe he may, he might have given up like one home run off the top of my head. I'm trying to remember. I think he's getting this job back. Uh, it's not going to be Chris Martin. It's not going to be uh, Kelly. So uh, it's kind of odd how they're going about it. But I, I know they signed him to a multi-year deal. But if he starts pitching lights out over the next two months, I would assume he ends up on another team. And, you know, Texas needs a lot of help in a lot of places to move into a new ballpark, which should help them be able to acquire some pitching and actually have some uh, starting pitching outside of Mike Miner, who's been wonderful. But I still think a correction is coming for him, too. Yeah, he's been pitching a little out over his skis. It's been awesome. But you got to imagine when those temps start getting in the regular 90s in Texas, it's going to get real, real dicey some nights there. Um, yeah, I agree. Leclerc should be back there soon. On a side note, didn't really do this on the outline, but I just want your quick thoughts on this. It was a Twitter topic of conversation, and we're going to talk a couple Brewers things here next. Uh, Jeremy Jeffers, since he's come back from his injury, took him a couple outings to get going, but he's been really, really good looking at that all-star Jeffers of old. Do you think there's a chance we see him kind of get back in that that closing role, maybe splitting it with Josh Hader at some point, basically making Jeffers viable fantasy-wise in this world where saves can be such a mess? Uh, look, I think it's a possibility for him to say at the end of the season to end up with maybe like 10 saves, something like that. They're going to have to manage Hayden. 
Uh, we saw last year in the second half, he kind of, you know, he was still, you know, he's still just a beast. And I've seen what he's done to my Mets. Uh, he faces the Mets. Nobody can even touch him. But, uh, you know, he's he's a guy that, as incredible as he is, and he is must-see TV, you, you don't, the way they're using him, and they've used him in the past, you know, you're going to have to give him some breathers here and there. So Jeffers is the guy who, as you said, it took him a little bit. And I would have been a little hesitant about this because I thought Burns might have had an opportunity, like a small window to get in there. And then he got lit up for like seven runs. I think it was the last time out. Because I think this is a good role for Burns, but he's just, you know, he's got talent. He's got to just put it all together. Yeah, I'm with you there. We'll stick with the brew crew here. And we know Keston here has got the call. That's a big fab topic conversation here. But part of the reason he got the call is Travis Shaw went on DIL with an injury. He's about to start his rehab assignment. Now, he's been really, really bad this year. And there's a lot of ways to kind of move around the Milwaukee infield to keep here or there. At the same time, someone's going to have to get out of the way. What do you think Travis Shaw's role is going to be when he gets back from this rehab assignment? Uh, you know what? I can see – look, it, it's all – it's all dependent upon Kesson here. Actually, he's got to hit. I don't care who you are, what prospect you are. If you don't hit, you find yourself back in the minors. So, so if he's hitting, I think they can find a spot for him over at first base. Uh, Thames has, you know, not been good. We know how, we know how he is in April, and this April wasn't like the last one. And you have another guy, uh, Jesus Aguilar, who was just a beast last year. And he's still having his troubles. So first base is a situation where, you know, they can work that out as long as, you know, as long as the, um, as long as Harir is hitting the ball. That's, that's the key. If he's hitting, he's going to play. And I think he's going to hit. I know he struck out a few times, but look, this is the first weekend he's up. You got to give these kids a little, uh, little leeway. They must hit, but they, you know, you got to break them in a little. And this guy's got a hit tool. So I'm not, really worry about that and I don't think they're going to rush Travis Shore up because he was going to the minors or the IL prior to it anyway so I, I think they'll let him find his uh his way around the plate again yeah I think that's a good call uh I was I'm hoping he really was like hurt hurt at the same time I think this might have been kind of a get your mind right we're gonna get you down there get some, mm-hmm. get some hacks in and figure some things out so we'll see how that plays uh sticking with the brew crew Jimmy Nelson has had a few setbacks since his 2017 surgery, but he's finally put a couple rehab starts together and a return to Milwaukee is looking pretty good. Like it's coming sooner than later. They're, they're projecting one more minor league outing on Thursday, and then he could be back with the big club early next week. What's your thoughts on Jimmy Nelson the rest of the way, assuming he's healthy and back with the club? Uh, so another person I didn't draft really at all this year, but I believe I got like two shares in my leagues uh, through Fab and stuff. And it's it's looking pretty good. And the, the Brewers are going to need him. They're going to need him or someone else to step into that rotation and help out. I mean, what Zach Davies is doing, I, I don't even know how to how to how to disseminate. <laughs> just, just be honest with you. I, yep. I know we all try to be like you know smartest guy or smartest gal, but I really you know I that I can't comprehend. So somebody else is going to need. I think Brandon Woodruff is a hell of a pitcher. But, you know, he's a young guy, too, and he's going to need some help. So this is very encouraging. Uh, you know, Milwaukee, the Cubs, you got the Cardinals. You got three really good teams there. 
and it should make for a fun summer. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and you know, that was the Brew Crew's problem last year and off and on already this year. Starting rotation depth just hasn't been there for them. So this could be a big addition. Uh, they could ease their way back in with them. I love Woodruff. I love what he's doing. But you're right, he's young. So we'll have to wait and see there. And, yeah, whatever Zach Davies is doing, congratulations. But I like to have whatever he drinks before every game because it's pretty darn impressive. Um, let's go to San Diego here. Nick Margavistus has been demoted to double A, trying to get his mind right. And they called up Cal Quantrill, who's made a couple spot starts. We know he's a highly touted prospect, early draft pick a couple of years ago, uh, brings that pedigree with that last name. What do you think his chances are of sticking with the club and being fantasy viable? Uh, you know what? Right now, not too good. I think he's got to, you know, he's another guy who's been given an opportunity, but you have to produce. And look, I understand the Padres, and I get the reasoning why they want this. You know, they've had the they've had the six man rotation they've been utilizing and stuff. But you know, you got to get results, and he really hasn't had the results that you know they're looking for. I mean, Paddock and uh, Matt Stram have done the job so far. So you know, I don't know how many more opportunities he's going to get to get it right. Yeah, that's the problem. Is his season might be next season? Is the way I look at it with Quantrell. Uh, a couple more here. Carlos Martinez, he is back with the Cardinals. <laughs> He's had a couple interesting outings so far, but we've seen most of his outings come towards the back end of ball games, And uh, they're using Hicks quite a bit there in St. Louis. Do you think Carlos Martinez becomes a potential closer at some time this year? Uh, I mean, unless Hicks gets injured, I think Hicks is really good. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of his game. Uh, I've been a C-Mark fan uh, but he's kind of, you know, I don't know, lost his way, whatever. I, I don't really want to get into it. But uh, hopefully this situation can help him. They're going to need help in the back of that bullpen. You got Andrew Miller, and if you can pair him with Carlos Martinez, I think Hicks is the guy that should be closing. Can he get a few saves here or there? Absolutely. But uh, I really didn't go after Carlos Martinez in uh, fab in any leagues. Yeah, I didn't try to draft him. I haven't tried to fab him. Um, like you said, we don't have to get into details, but what's going on between those years concerns me. Uh, it's not the mm-hmm. first time not the first yes. time he's done this. It's a trend, and uh, that, that concerns me a lot. So um, we'll see how that goes. Let's talk a couple injuries that have taken place but shouldn't be too serious. Nelson Cruz went to the I.L. with the wrist injury. Should be back early next week. Uh, any concerns with, uh, with Nelly? I mean, I don't think so. It sounds more precautionary than anything, which I think – the Twins are in a, a spot where they can afford to be cautious and have him, you know. Like, I don't understand why Oakland isn't doing this with Chris Davis with, with this yep. issue. I know they're in last place or whatever, but the guy's not right, and he's not going to get better. So unlike the Twins, I mean, unlike the A's, the Twins have that luxury. I don't have any crews, but uh, I'm sure he's going to heat up, you know, very soon. I know he's old, but he can, especially in this environment, He'll get it done. Yep, he'll hit his 30-plus home runs without an issue, most likely. A uh, couple more here. This one kind of hits close to home for you, and I'm not going to pick on the Mets. I could do a lot of questions <laughs> for you, but I'm going to leave that one alone for another day. But I will ask about Michael Conforto because he was just starting to show some consistent power over like a five-game stretch there where I know you were tweeting about it. I was watching it going, okay, this might be finally happening. And then he goes down with the concussion on the seven-day I.L., What's the latest you're hearing there? Because these concussions are scary. As a guy, the Giants fan with Brandon Belt, you see them re- reoccur uh, after you get one. It's it's pretty scary. So what's going on with Michael Conforto? 
Well, I mean, the only thing I've heard recent uh, that I saw recently, maybe as early as today, is he is symptom-free. Doesn't mean he's definitely getting activated on Friday, but signs are looking good to that. I guess now he's got to try some baseball activities and stuff like that. I was livid when I saw Cano collide with him. I mean, look, Robbie Cano's doing it's the most he's hustle Cano's done all week. <laughs> oh, and <laughs> you know to see that was. But look, just to get back on Conforto, uh, I'll just rewind real quick. Like you said, he was starting to put it together. You know, he got into a to a couple of weeks where the swing got long. We see this with a lot of players. You know, one, you know, you can be hot for a couple of weeks and then you lose your swing or it gets long. And that seems to be getting corrected. And I was getting really excited. And it's most unfortunate, but the most the thing, you know, you got to hope is he's activated come Friday. That would mean, you know, everything's all good with him, you know, for the rest of the season. Because, you know, you have to, as you mentioned, it's scary. Yeah, it's very scary. So I'm hoping for the best because I know I was big on him going into draft season. I know other people were as well. So hopefully nothing too scary there. Uh, Kenta Maeda goes on the 10-day IL. He fouled a ball off his thigh, which is impressive for a pitcher, let alone any <laughs> hitter. But uh, this just gives more people arguments that pitchers shouldn't hit. And that's another podcast on its own as well. But um, this could be a form of Dodgers doing Dodger things. But are you overly concerned at all with Kenta Maeda, who's been quietly putting together a decent season? I think he's getting better. Yeah, you know, I, the, the first month, I think he did the same thing last year. He kind of started a little slow. I have to think he was really injured here. It wasn't Dodgers being Dodgers. You know, we have 12 strikeouts. The guy was having yeah. his best start of the season. And it was only like 82 pitches or 85 pitches when he got pulled and stuff. So I don't think you'd want to take him out or have him miss a start when he's starting to roll. And it sounds like it wasn't really anything of significance. Just, you know, make sure everything's good. Give him an extra free turn. So, yeah, I, it's all signs point to him starting Sunday. And is that first? And that is versus the Pirates. So, yep. that should be a good matchup for him. Yep. I know like Musgrove goes Saturday. So, yeah, that, that might be Chris Archer time. So, yeah, that might be a W for Kenta Maeda. Um, <laughs> yeah, and real, real quick, though, that you mentioned Musgrove. I'm one of the biggest Musgrove fans out there. If I have, if I, if I can afford to do it, I have the luxury, I'm going to bench Musgrove against that, you know, lefty, mashing Dodger lineup. Yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page there. I had that decision. Yeah. I sat Musgrove in a TGFBI. I was I, I put a, like a – Oh, actually, a guy we'll talk about in a minute. I put Eric Fede at two starts, and they're just kind of rolling the dice with that Marlins start on Sunday over that Musgrove against the Dodgers. It was, it was tough, but I even had Yancey Eaton actually text me about an hour ago asking, should I start Musgrove or a two-star? I can't remember who it was now, but yeah, that has been the dilemma with Musgrove this week. we got to enjoy it. But uh, last piece of news here, Anibal Sanchez went to the I.L. with a hamstring injury. He's been off to a horrific start to the season. I just mentioned Eric Fede who, you know, he's been this kind of upper-end prospect for the Nats, hasn't panned out. He's pitched really, really well in AAA and out of the bullpen for the Nats this year. Do you have any expectations for Fetty, or are you just kind of waiting and seeing right now? Uh, right now i got to wait and see, because he still is one of these guys that hasn't put it together yet. I get it. You know, he's supposed to start tomorrow, right? He's taking Annabelle Sanchez's yep. spot. Yep. And he's got the, you know, the Mets who just got three hit in like two days. Swept by the Marlins. So I get the you know, rolling him out for that two-star and then closing it out with Miami. 
So, you know, when you look at the Marlins and you see that they've lit that they've lit up Scherzer Bauer in the ground, you know, it's just weird. That's just, I guess, the beauty of baseball. That is baseball in a nutshell. <laughs> uh, look, I for for this week, if you wanted to roll like like I think you, you you made a really good point here. You sat Musgrove. You know, the Dodgers just got so many good left-handed hitters. I mean, Cody Bellinger is just unconscious right now. It's crazy. And you run, you roll with a guy like Fetty. Sometimes you got to take these chances. I'm, I'm not against that. Yeah, I was actually surprised. It's, uh, we, we're not going to talk about him in the, uh, in the fab section here. But I was, I was, I put him in like as a tertiary bid almost on the crazy, crazy fab again for like seven dollars. Somehow, <laughs> I, I, somehow I got him. So I was like, huh, a two starter for seven bucks. That doesn't happen often in a fifteen team league. I guess that's what happens when it's prospect palooza all over the place. But um, I'll, I'll take my chances there. Let's get in to one of the wildest weeks of fab. I've only been doing fab for a few years now. I know you've been, you're a fab diehard, you're an NFBC diehard. Um, this was insane. And I know everyone's talked about it. They've beaten it to death basically by now, but it was crazy. For a guy like yourself, who's in all these high leagues, the NFBC mains and all of these situations, when you are hitting a week like this, where you know it's not just one or two main targets, there's a lot of them. How do you decide to how you're going to differentiate your, your funds basically? Well, I mean, the first part is how much money do you have left? And I knew I wasn't getting Austin Riley anywhere. Uh, uh, Christian Herrera, I got one spot. I got two Nicky Lopez's. But, you know, I put bids out there for Riley as my, say, top bid. But I knew I had no shot. And you just, you have to even put, keep them honest bids. Because last season, I I won... um, which is named Juan Soto for $114. It was the second lowest winning bid in the main event. And yeah, it helped me and my partner, Andy Saxon, go on to win that main event league. It was a really good team. And, you know, you got to be willing to put it out there on these players. I know a lot of people say, well, watch out for Fab. Don't blow all your money on these prospects. At some point, even if you're the opposite of me, who's not aggressive. And I mean, I was aggressive on prospects in drafts this year because I think the game has changed. I think it's a young man's game where you're seeing these teams giving their, you know, top prospects, not just any prospect, but, you know, the, the upper echelon guys, they're getting a legitimate shot and they're getting it early. So what are you going to spend your money on? I know some people do like to grind it every week and, you know, have that, that hammer for, you know, late in the season if needed. But at some point you're going to, you know, it's when, when the months start dwindling, you know, the impact is going to be less and less on your team as well. And I don't care who you are, you're not going to hit on everybody, even if it's not a prospect, even if somebody dropped a veteran and you thought it was worth putting, you know, 20% down to get this guy because he's been good in the past. Maybe he's done. You you don't know, but you can't just sit there all the time. So I I do chuckle at, you know, some people on Fab and they're like, oh, this guy, that guy. For me, most of the prospect bids I've done this year have been 15% to 17%. I did go in a couple of spots on Frazier at our 20 to 25% on two or three teams that I thought he could really help me. And one of them was Aaron uh, Judge team. So when you're getting here and you've seen all these guys, you got to prioritize first. And certain teams have different needs. And one of my partners, Christopher Cairo, really, he was on Nicky Lopez uh, from, from, from the get-go. Once he got the call and we were getting all these guys together and we talked, he was like, for our team, which is currently fourth in the fourth overall in the main, 
He's like, he fits this team like a glove. He's the guy, you know, I want. So I was like, okay, let's go for it. And we don't have a ton of fam. I think we got $110 left. I had probably about $100 left in the middle of May last year when uh, after winning Juan Soto, we went on to win it. So I'm not worried. I've done this before. I've been in this situation numerous times where, you know, come June, end of May, I don't have a lot of money. And, you know, I have a bench, though, that I'm ready to go to war with. So it's prioritizing and do what you believe in. Too many people listen to other people. I mean, look, I'm all for giving advice, but you you can't take advice from everyone because then it becomes noise. You got to find some people that you like or you think are intelligent or you just, you know, whatever, and formulate an, an opinion on that and make what's best what you think for your team. Yeah, I completely agree. That's great, great advice there. Because, you know, there is a lot of great content out there, but if you start hearing, you know, 20 different opinions, there's going to be like at least 15 of them that probably differ. And then you're all like, where are you at now? You're back stuck at, at square one again. So I think that's a very, very <laughs> valid point you make there. Uh, it was an interesting week. I did not snag any of the top prospects. I bid on them, but I even kind of tweeted it out after I finished up all my final fabs and I walked away. I said, I really like some of these guys. I just have a feeling I'm not going to get these guys because of what I've seen in the previous weeks i've noticed like the nate low low picks and some others guys are going for for brooke and i get it uh like you said everything's team dependent like when you went big on frazier it's because you needed him to take care of aaron judge's spot uh there, there's certain things that that build into each team's breakdown and it, it'll differentiate league to league team to team and that's what's fun about when i do this tgfbi i think the smata puts his page together and it puts all 23 leagues and you know who went for how much it tells me who took them and we can have some fun kind of seeing the differences in prices, how many leagues they went in, so on and so forth. And, and it's really entertaining. And, and I'm with you there also on the people that just clown these prospect call-ups. It's like, okay, A, what if it is the next one? So obviously those don't come around every generation, but those are league-winning players. And what else – what are you going to do with your fab money? Continue to just stream two-star pitchers every week and hope to win? Well, if your offense needs help, you got to pay for someone. And who else is going to potentially get a starting role that's going to impact you – like some of these prospects, you're not going to find a ton of them. So it, it, it's a, a debate that it's going to probably go on till the end of time, but it, it's just very <laughs> interesting because, you know, we had what six or seven big time prospects this week. And let's be real, Matt, maybe one or two pans out. There's going to be some duds that hit here. Yeah, no, look, not, uh, not everybody's going to hit, as you say, but not everybody's going to be great or, or terrible. There might be a guy in a 15 team league that, He's not fantastic, but you can play him every week, and he he's he's not a loss. He's not a negative for you, too. So, you know, there's there's different ways of value. And there's a difference between bet, uh, bidding $150 and bidding $500 on a player, or even $150 or $350 on a player. So th- there are differences there. Like uh, Cole Tucker was a guy for speed. I bid just under 10% on pretty much $99 in a bunch of leagues. I didn't win them anywhere. Okay, it didn't work out. But in two spots, I got uh, Carter Keyboom. One of them I owned, uh, Trey Turner. Those were 15 16% bids. You know, you sometimes, you know, it just happens. The kid was lost in the field, too. Yeah. So, you know, it, it is what it is. But I think Nate Lowe is a guy that is going to have an impact this year for the Tampa Bay Rays team. If the Rays want to win and really compete with the Yankees and the Red Sox, that's a bat they're going to need in that lineup. 
course, they have a couple of good hitters. They don't have a lot of good hitters. I think they've overachieved offensively. And, you know, it's, 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 it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun, you know. Uh, the worst thing to do is to be scared to bid on something because of what other people might think. Or, like, you don't want to take this guy in the 12th round because he goes in the 14th round. That's just foolishness. It's your team. Do what you think is best. Yep, 100% agree with that. And I'm glad you brought up the low part before we get into these players here. I just wanted to, to ask you because I agree. I think low, I've, I've got him in a couple leagues and I'm not, I'm, I'm holding on to dear life with him. With some of these prospects, especially in NFBC, TGFBI formats, with no IL spots, your bench can get kind of dicey at times. How, how hard do you try to hold on to these guys that you spent so much money for? Or do you have to just pretend, okay, money's gone now. It is what it is. I got to move on. In certain set, uh, instances, you have to move on. Uh, I had, like I said, I had Kibum in two places. Maybe he's on one of those teams still. He might be off of both. I'm not sure. But, you know, if I have the ability, Nate Lowe isn't going anywhere unless, you know, it becomes another month and a half and I have to make a move. That would be different, but I don't see it lasting that long. I think they're looking to buy him, maybe get that year back and call him up in the uh, beginning of June. So it's everything is always team dependent. You know, maybe Nicky Lopez was the best guy for your team this week. I mean, Brandon Rogers is a super high uh, pedigree pro- uh, prospect. What was he, third overall mm-hmm. that year? And if he get, keeps that job, he's hitting in course field. So, I mean, that's just tremendous. And if you needed a middle infielder and you needed some pop speed, why wouldn't you go after him? If you if you needed, if you had that need and stuff, look, can he uh, get sent right back down? Yes, you're going to try and hold him. You're not going to try and get rid of these guys right away, obviously. You're going to try and protect them, keep them on your bench, because you don't know if another injury pops up. If Trey Turner got the big attorney again, you know, and Carter Keeblin was playing better defensively because he was complete. Forget the strikeouts. He was completely lost in the field. The kid. He was overmatched right now. But you know what? He got that taste. He got that experience. And I love it when these prospects come up, fail. I usually do that the following year when they come up, you know, end of August, uh, September, and they fail. I'm on those guys the following spring. No, that's a really, really good call here. Let's talk about these call-ups. Austin Riley. Mm-hmm. He went from 214 to as high as 503. There's two $500 plus bids, over 50% of initial budgets in TGFBI. Um, this guy I saw in most tweets about the NFBC main and everything. He was the highest priced guy for the most part on average. This was the man. What's your uh, kind of just opinion on Austin Riley? Because we know what he can do. What are your, th- what are your thoughts? Oh, uh, if I, I if I had the money, I probably would have put somewhere between that three to three fifty bid on Austin Riley. One, he's on a really good team. Uh, he'll have outfield third base eligibility. The power is real. Josh Donaldson, you know, he if he goes down, he's got a a definite third. He'll, you know, he'll definitely just slide into third base. Uh, and then CRT, I could see them doing a you know four man outfield kind of thing. You, you got Marcakis and right, you know, Marcakis, if he's, you know, isn't going to hold back Austin Riley. What does Marcakis get? Six million or something? So there's ways for this kid to play. Uh, and I, I really like the Braves lineup. I'm not crazy about the Braves overall pitching depth, but their, their lineup offensively, I do like. And 
you know, if you had say eight hundred dollars and you really wanted him and you put four or five hundred, that was that was your guy. Then then shoot your shot. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, uh, there's a lot to like there with Riley. I thought he could have been up last year and he wasn't there. So as long as NCRT when he comes back stays out of the way, things will be good there for Austin Riley. Uh, Brendan Rodgers, another popular one, went from anywhere from one twenty eight to three oh two. There's two three hundred dollar plus bids on uh, Brendan Rodgers. He might have the best overall, you know, Coors Field, all that great stuff. But we know how the Rockies do things in Colorado. <laughs> What's your thoughts on, you know, Rogers going forward here? Because, again, these are all crapshoots and anything can happen. What's your thoughts here? Yeah, no, I mean, in the back of my mind, it's, you know, the Rockies troll. They they troll their prospects. And we've seen it time and time again. But, you know, and I got lucky this weekend. I had Nico Gilgerman in one of my uh, deeper leagues. And he got the flu, and I put Ryan McMahon back in the uh, in his spot. And McMahon, you know, had had a couple of homers this weekend, and I still kind of like him as well. But I think that's a situation that could work out as well. Look, if Rogers hits, Rogers going to be the guy. He was, you know, he's one of the future players of this franchise. So he's going to be. I'm assuming they're going to give him the opportunity. I don't think they called him up to just you know say hey you know. Thanks for coming by for a week, and we'll see you later. I mean, it could happen, but that would be that would be epic Rockies right there. Yes, that I don't think be. Murphy's one hundred percent healthy. I really don't. I don't think he's healthy, and I, I I think we're seeing that they're protecting him against lefties and stuff. So, look, I would love to have gotten Rogers take a shot on him. It just it, it didn't work out, and if you got him, you know, anybody in course Field, and you you get a guy with skills. Makes it so much better. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Cole Irvin, lefty for the Philadelphia Phillies, went in about 10 leagues, went for as low as $3 to Colin Weatherwax in my league to as high as $81 for Andy Singleton. What's your thoughts on Cole Irvin? Because he seems like kind of a soft tosser, kind of one of those crafty lefties, but seen one good start, one okay start. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, I think what the Phillies are doing right now is kind of smart with Nick Pavetta. I know he's striking guys out, but I think they really want to see him eliminate those walks, which is something he hasn't done in the minors yet. So I think right now he's a fill-in until uh, Pavetta, when they when they when they deem Pavetta ready. I know there was talk about having him move to the bullpen or something. I wouldn't give up on Pavetta just yet if I'm the Phillies. You know, I would. Uh, let him get things straight. You sent him down there. Let him get it straight. And I, I think he's just a filler right now. And this week's matchups, uh, they're, they're, they're playing with what, the Cubs and the Brewers. I don't know if I really want to even mess with that. <laughs> no, that's not good at all. Yeah, not good at all. Corbin Martin, outstanding first start. Uh, interesting start at Fenway, but that can come to be expected. He went for somehow as low as $6. Donkey Teeth got him for 6 bucks. That blows my mind. But yes. he went for he went for as high as two forty five to Jonathan Dinsler in League thirteen. So all across the board there, Corey Martin looks pretty darn legit. What are your thoughts on him? Oh, I mean, if you look at if you look at his um, his resume in the minors, what he was doing this year too. I think this year I believe he was right around thirty percent strikeout stuff. Obviously, that's going to come down in the major leagues and stuff like that. But he's in the Astros rotation right now. I had probably bids anywhere from say. 61 to probably like 130-ish and somewhere in that range. I didn't have the money to be putting more than that. I really, I probably would have capped it out at probably uh, 15% anyway. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, look, you have to, sometimes it's not even if, you know, it's the opportunity. He has the opportunity to stay in this bullpen, uh, in this rotation. I think eventually Peacock is in that bullpen. I know uh, Whitley is just getting whacked in the minors, but I think at some point he is going to be a difference maker. I know people tell me you're crazy. He's, he's getting lit up. And look, it's a long season. This kid's got talent. I've seen him pitch live. I've seen him. Uh, I've, I've watched some other uh, avenues from him pitching. And I, I just think the talent, I, I think there's some su- super talent in there. And if he gets a chance on this team, you know, uh, I I, I want to be in that business as well. So, yeah, I mean, Martin, forget him for $6. I agree. Yeah, I mean, crazy. the guy's just all right the rest of the way. <laughs> yeah, I got Eric Fetty for 7 bucks for crying out loud. Like, give me <laughs> Corbin Martin for $6 all day long. Um, when, when we're talking Corbin Martin here, just because this one's not in this fab class, but should be in a fab class coming to you soon, Zach Gallon should be getting a call any day. I know you've talked about Zach Gallon. A lot of guys talked about Zach Gallon. Would you kind of compare prices on Gallon to what we saw with Martin, or would you even go a little higher? See, for me, I know some people are going to have the Miami Marlins prejudice and stuff, but I didn't have it coming into the season. Lopez and Smith, I did get one share of Richards, but I don't think I have him anymore on that team because he was on the bench anyway. But those guys, I mean, Caleb Smith has been masterful this year. Uh, Can it continue forever? No, he's going to have some sort of correction. All these pitchers do. It doesn't mean that they're not good. Lopez we've seen get blown up by the Mets and then come back and pitch a one-hit a one-hit shutout through seven innings. So, I mean, that kid's really talented. So, if Gallon comes out there and I have money, I'm really going to be aggressive. Because even though you might not get wins here, I, I think what the kid's doing in the minors, you have to take notice on that. It's a fantastic home ballpark to pitch in. Yep. So, I mean, I would – if I had the money, two two fifty would be would, would would be the starting point for me. Good to know. Good to know. A lot of people got back on the Jason Castro bandwagon, one to ninety dollars. Big fan of that move. Jordan Luplow went from one to forty one in a lot of leagues. Kind of a platoon bat, but showing some pop. Let's get to Keston here. Went from one twenty five to five ten. Doug Dennis of Baseball HQ went five ten. Second closest was Nate Dawkin at three thirty three. You mentioned you picked up some uh, Hira shares in recent weeks, and we kind of talked about them already, but what kind of bids were you looking at with him? Uh, well, with Hira, I got lucky the week before. I put in like a few dollar bid on him. I forget, I don't know who I was dropping. I was dropping like a Jed Lowry or some type like that. And I said, you know what, let's just, and it, it, it probably was a conditional bid. It probably wasn't even like the, like the, the top bid. And I got I got him for just a few dollars, and then he got called up like two days later. So that was just you know I got lucky there, and I'll I'll take it. You get, you know in order to be good in life, you, you got to have some luck sometimes here or there. No uh, this week I got him. I think the one thing I got him was for a hundred and twenty one or one twenty six or something like that. Like I said again, I really didn't have the money to go much higher than that mostly because I have to leave myself you know at least ten percent. Uh, 15% rest of the way. Yeah, the lowest win was 125 in TGFBI, so you would have set the bar on that one. That's uh, See, that's just that's why I love doing this exercise. I say it every time we do it. But <laughs> just the different range in prices. Sometimes it makes you want to bang your head against the wall, but other times it's like, okay, I was in the right ballpark. I was just in the completely wrong league. <laughs> yeah, and, and what you're saying here, just to make a point, because we were talking before about Austin Riley and you know how he was like the top guy 
in in the NFBC main event. In my high stake leagues that aren't overalls, that are just like satellite leagues, where it's just the 15 teams competing against uh, themselves, uh, the highest guy bid for was Willie Calhoun. I like that. I like that. Well, I like him. it too. I wanted Calhoun, but he started hitting right away. So yeah, that was the problem. Yeah. He's getting home runs all over the place, and then he gets to go play in Texas for the week, so that doesn't help at all. Yeah. He's damn, he's damn prospects, man. Every weekend, is he leaving like Riley, he gets a hug up all home runs. These guys decide here hits his first homer on Sunday. It's like, can't you guys wait till Monday? Figure this out. Um, yeah. Let's go, let's go Nicky Lopez, a guy you mentioned quite a bit. He went for as low as $67 to Kevin Louder. There's four bids below 100 bucks at one. When it's for highest 325 to Rob Leibowitz. Um, there's a lot to like Nicky Lopez. You'll talk about it in a minute, but his OBP is off the charts. The fact he's batting second from day one really had my attention. And out of all these prospects, there's really no reason why he can't play every day. Like him of all the guys has a job. So what's your thoughts on Nicky Lopez? Because I was all in on OBP leagues and a little bit on an FPC stuff. Well, I, I think you said it best. He has a job. He was brought up to play second base. They moved Whit Merrifield to the outfield. And batted him second right away. Like, you know, as you said, the OBP, he's got that too. He's got some speed. And in this lineup where you got Merrifield and him, Mondesi, I mean, you got some rabbits running around the bases. This is a guy that he might not, you know, he's not going to be, say, the, the, the power potential and all that of, of some other guys. But, you know, he might be the most secure guy out of this whole group of call-ups. You know, not the most talented, the most secure, and maybe the one that at the end of it could, you know, return some really nice value if he runs, which I have to assume on this Royals team he's going to run. Yeah, I think they really want to get over 200 uh, stolen bases as a team. It seems like (laughs) that's their goal, and it seems very feasible these days with these guys. So uh, if anything, they'll be fun to watch. Uh, let's mm-hmm. go Oscar Mercado for the Indians. Anywhere he went as low as 33 bucks for boy Eno Saris, all the way up to 156 for Mike Gianella. All over the board here. There's so many mixed reviews on him. You talked about listening to too many voices. This was one where it was very spread out on the thought process here, and that might have affected some of these bids. Where do you stand on Oscar Mercado? Uh, I mean, it's about speed. I my bids were more tepid on him than the others. But I, I wouldn't have mind winning him at the prices that I was putting him down for. I had, say, some – I was more in the range with him for, like, 50 to 60 or maybe, like, the low 70s. Because uh, it's just – it's about the speed. I think what scared everybody off was he was, you know, he was sitting. They called him up. This is not a team that, you know, that has a stacked outfield. It's, like, quite the opposite. And – he didn't. He he wasn't playing every day. That said, if if he can get on base, he's gonna, you know, be a very profitable player just in just in the speed category alone. Yeah, that's the thing. If he played every day, it's gonna be great. If they're doing this platoon stuff, not overly thrilled with that idea. So, Indians, I don't know what they're doing. I don't think many people really know what the Indians are doing these days. So that'll be something to stay tuned for later. Uh, Scott Kingery, uh, not not one of these flashy prospect names, but once was. He went from anywhere from $9 to $81 this week. Greg Jewett had the high bid of 81 bucks, And he, he got activated from the IL. We saw him kind of get it going before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of moving parts there in Philadelphia. But, you know, we've seen what King Ray can do with the minors. He just hasn't come to the bigs yet. What are your thoughts on him, like, as people are speculating on him this past week? 
I, I loved them last year. <laughs> and look, this year, as you said, uh, just uh, before, prior, that, you know, he was seemed like he was starting to put, put it together or get on a nice run and then he got injured. And they're saying he's going to play, he's going to play some more center field. I'm sure he'll get some days at third base for Frank. I mean, Franco's cooled off. He's, you know, that first couple of weeks he was on fire, but he's cooled off. He can always uh, fill in for Cesar Hernandez. You know, he needs a day off or something like that. So, yeah, I I, I wanted to get him last night, but you said what, uh, the hard bid was 81? Yeah. I think in in my in one of my mains he went for like 105 and stuff. And I just couldn't put too much of a bid on him. I needed to get a guy like Jason Castro in a couple of leagues where I had uh, Mitch Garver went down. I mean, I was in like tears when when, when that happened. Yeah, and I one. didn't cut and I and I wasn't cutting Mitch Garver, so I was yeah. holding him. And I never hold three catchers, but you know, sometimes you got to do it. Yeah, what Garver has done behind the dish, you don't see many catchers do, so it's hard to to break to break the chain with that one when when, when you're going there. Two more guys I want to mention here. Sean Anderson of the Giants went for as low as two bucks to Greg Albright of Rasball to as high as 67. Oh, to myself. I had the high bid. Outstanding. Shocker, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess my homerism got into me there. But, you know, the next closest bid to me was 47. So I feel a little better. Um, two stepping it this week. The kid, pretty good pedigree for the most part. What are your thoughts on Sean Anderson? Uh, I, I like it. I wouldn't have a problem spending 67. But as we talked earlier, you know, as you spend more and more money, you you got to pull back your bids to make them less and less. So, you know, maybe a month ago, I would have dropped $67 on him and not blinked an eye. This week, maybe it's $30, you know, I'm, I'm putting on him at most or something like that. Uh, I may ask you, maybe you have more uh, information on this than me, but I believe they're going to use, uh, use an opener for him. I don't know if that's correct or not, but that's the vibe I know kind of – Thing I was kind of hearing, he was going to get the opener treatment, which I wouldn't mind. You know, I would purposes. Yeah, I wouldn't mind it at all. What is weird with the Giants is they used this last time through an opener for Tyler Beatty and then Anderson start. But I think you're onto something there because I know they've been there's been a ton more discussion about the Giants mm-hmm. and their kind of ugly pitching staff using the opener, and it would make sense to limit these young pitchers' innings by using an opener. So I, I like that idea. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, I wouldn't put it past them. Let's put it that way. It'd be a, a good way to go about it. Yeah. I mean, as I said, I've, I heard it, but I really can't confirm. It. I was looking for more info on it, but I, I would like that even more for him because then you get a, you, you get a better shot at getting the win. I mean, for fantasy purposes, for me as a baseball purpose, I have no, nothing against the open, but yeah. as a baseball purpose, if I am grooming a young pitcher, I mean, maybe Anderson's young enough. But, like, what Tampa Bay does with Yanni Chirinos, it's great for fantasy. I think Chirinos is better than that and should be allowed to stop games. Yep, 100% with you. It's great for fantasy. For the development of a young arm is quite odd, unless this is where the world's going. But it's quite not quite going there just yet. So, tough to tell. Last guy. You mentioned Willie Calhoun earlier. I was This was the guy I put my higher bids on. Um, he went for anywhere from 103 to 348. The high bid was Mike Gianella. Man, he went spending this weekend. And the low bid was uh, Greg Jewett. There's a lot to like here with Willie Calhoun. As long as he can keep a job and playing time, what's your thoughts on Willie? Uh, yeah, the, look, the guy can hit. He's always had a hit tool. Uh, I think he got his head on straight entering this year, too. You know, maybe, I don't know. I don't want to say he was immature or anything. But, you know, you hear a little this or that, whatever. So I'm not, I'm not trying to smirch his name. So excuse me on that. But whatever. It seems like he went into camp this year 
more determined. It, it didn't work out. He didn't start on the roster. But this kid can hit. He can't play defense. We That we know. But, I mean, are the Rangers really not going to play this kid? Like, this is the year you play Willie Calhoun. You have yep. him figure it out. You see if he can even learn, you know, learn how to play the outfield. Like, you can maybe hide him and, you know, you, you don't have a choice. Like, this is the year where they can do these things, especially with a new ballpark on the horizon. So I like the Willie Calhoun bids. Like I said, I wanted Willie Calhoun, but I knew that was going to become a pipe dream. <laughs> yep. I was a big fan there because the hit tool is outstanding. Mm-hmm. One of the top hit tools in this class. It was just a matter of can they keep the revolving door at whatever position for him available? That was what I was all about. So I was a big fan of that. And I was really bummed out of all the guys that I get. It was him. And then in my league, Malik Smith was available and Jeff Erickson beat me out by like 12 bucks. That one. What was the bid on Smith? Uh, Mal- he got him for 188. Okay. That's not, that's not that bad. I saw him go in the NFBC for like 500 the week prior. So yeah, I was shocked yeah. in our league the week before a member of our league, I'll leave his name out of this dropped him for JP Crawford. I was shocked. Yeah. That's all I can say. I was just like, I was, I was already, I was already clicking Malik's name for next week's fat. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we shall see. All right. That wraps up our baseball portion of the podcast. This is what Matt and I wanted to talk about anyways. We just gave you guys what you came for. <laughs> now we want to talk about some Game of Thrones. And my friend, it is all done. It is all over. First off, just general thought. What did you think of the finale? Um, look, I, I wanted to say this before I say anything. I've truly enjoyed this show. It's been one of the most epic uh, productions to put on TV, what it takes to do this kind of thing. I actually have experience in this. I worked, you know, below the line in Hollywood and, you know, on TV shows, mostly in movies, though, and to see how it, you know, how hard it is to get everything to go. And it, they did a tremendous job. Maybe they sped things up a little too much this year, let's be honest. Yep. But, you know, I thought it was kind of fitting. The first half of it, I liked more than, the, say, the second half yes. of it. I get, you know, some people are disappointed in this and that. But I think when you look back at the overall story and how things ended and how they tied everything up and you take out the rush process, it pretty much stayed true to form. And I do hope the old man finishes the books. Yeah, I, I, I pretty much agree with everything you had to say there. The show is probably one of the greatest shows we'll ever see on TV, ever possibly. Uh, this season, that was my biggest gripe with this season. It was still very good content. It was just one of those, for what you expect with Game of Thrones, we didn't get the Game of Thrones experience, per se, because it was just so sped up. You didn't get those awesome little side sessions of dialogue and the character building and all that stuff that you're used to seeing. That was my mm-hmm. biggest thing. And I'm with you on last night's. The first half, great. Um, obviously, if you're listening to this far along, you've seen the show, so spoiler warning. But um, <laughs> like when when John does the deed and, and kills Danny, that was like outstanding. And it's one of those you could almost have faded to black there and called it good. But um, and then the whole Drogon deal, so on and so forth. When it goes to the next chapter, I kind of got like, okay, where are we going? It felt almost like a Seinfeld episode at one point in time. So that got a little weird, but we'll start from the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. Like Tyrion going through King's Landing somehow finds you know his brother and sister after four bricks, which is pretty impressive when a whole castle falls on top of you. But um, <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. What were your overall thoughts of that? Because between the whole King's Landing part, between that, John trying to stop Grey Worm, and that got a little heated. There's a couple of moments there early on. 
Yeah, I mean, just the devastation that you really get to see the devastation that Danny caused the week prior. And I, and, and I do get, you know, him seeing the, luckily he had a, you know, gold hand and it stuck out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but it, it was the emotional, it was tying up that Lannister knot for them. And I, I kind of get that. The Grey Worm character, you know, he was out for blood after his woman was killed. And I get that too, but I'm kind of with you. I, I The part I don't get in, in the beginning is after he does the deed, which you you weren't sure. I mean, everybody assumed he was going to kill her, but yeah. you, you know how his character is and how he's, you know, he, he lives his life by a, a certain code. After... What I didn't get after he killed her is, you know, Grey Worm doesn't kill him, have the, the and the Sully to keep him as a prisoner. That's See, we don't know. Kind of we don't know how that all happened. That killed me. <laughs> but, um, <You> know. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, so she gives her big speech, and it feels like, you know, I'm not going to be offensive. I'm not trying to be offensive, but it felt like a history class when you're watching, you know, the old World War II videos and stuff. Like, you felt like yeah. you were at a march i'm like like everything looked like things you've seen before it was it was well done in that respect because it had that feel and that's what they kind of wanted to feel obviously she's now in charge of everything and she's going to do it with an iron fist and it was, it was pretty scary what Tyrion did when he basically walked up and she says well you committed treason and he goes well you murdered an entire city and he throws his his, his hand piece down i thought that was amazing that was some of the better like just you know i give up kill me all you want you are just like a sadistic woman yeah, and he came to the realization that he was wrong and Varys was right. And he basically sold out his best friend who got him burned. So, yeah, that, that was awesome. That was irony there, too. Yeah, and then we'll lead up to the Danny getting killed part here right now because John goes and talks to Tyrion. And like you said, this was a very important part. Some people kind of thought they were bored by this. And I get it if you're bored by it, but this is kind of old thrones to an extent. And John needed to hear this from Tyrion because Tyrion kept trying to tell him, you need to get rid of her, basically. And John was like, no, I don't want to, because that's what John is. Like you said, he's got that mindset. And he has kept, and once he brought into the fact that you're one of her biggest threats, and so will Sansa and your sisters, I think the light switched on in John's head. Yeah, I think that that was important. I don't even think it was what he said. He was the biggest threat. I think when he, when he included uh, his sisters in the part of it, who really aren't even the sisters anymore. <laughs> yeah, true, that's a true. whole different story. Well, let's <laughs> you know? be real. Why, what's even the big deal about him being a Targaryen? But we can get to that towards the end. That's a whole yeah, other you know, argument. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that, that was 100%. That was what I think sold him. Once he mentioned, you know, Sansa and Arya, and he was worried about their well-being because he knew after he saw what she did to the city, you know, and then heard that speech, like you said, it was very, uh, we'll just leave it at that. It was well yeah. done, but it showed you how she was going off the deep end and, you know, it was, you know, you either bend the knee or we just, we just exterminate you to be, to begin with. We felt like, you know, Dragon's going to burn down all these towns, I guess. That's what it felt like. It felt like she's if you don't believe in me, you're going down. And um, I want to backpedal two seconds. This could be a quickie, but it was kind of surprising to me. And it, it leads to this whole talk of how everything is so quick right now. So the end of the last episode, we see Arya riding off on a horse. And then after she gives her, after Danny gives her speech, and John's looking at her, Arya walks up to John, and John goes, "Hey, what are you doing here? How did John not know she was there this whole time after she rode off on a horse? I want to know that one." 
Yeah, I like she, I thought she was leaving or she saw everybody and got off the horse and came back, came back into the city. And I thought maybe she was so taken back of the horrors that she witnessed and the fact that she was almost, you know, yeah. killed, that she was going to try and kill Daenerys. But I guess it was fitting. They had John do it and stuff. Yeah. Like because that. that that was the interesting part when John goes first off, you know, you got snowy uh, Drogon. That was kind of an interesting moment there. Mm-hmm. He lets John through because he's no threat, obviously. But then John goes, and it was it was like he was going to give her another chance because he was asking her questions, and she was happier than hell. Like she's smiling, and everything's good. And he's he's about to give her another chance, and he gets a little angry. And she basically said, "They need to die." And once I think he realized that she's going off the deep end, that was when he did the deed. He killed her. Drogon comes, burns down the, the the throne, takes her away, ends that whole thing. Were you okay with how that all went down? Ah, uh, I mean, I was fine. I I guess the fact that Drogon didn't burn him is because he's a Targaryen, and he knows that, and you know, he knows John was part of the crew and stuff. That's all I, I can think of. Yeah, that's all I can think. Of. That's him. all I can think of too. I thought he was a dead man. Yeah, I, I honestly would have been fine with that if that's the way it, it went. Because I still don't get how Grey Worm wouldn't have had him killed. That's yeah, the 100% that's the with you there. 100%. For me to come to grips with. But it's burning the throne, yeah, I, I get the symbolism there. You know, his, his brothers are dead, his mother's dead, and that was the thing that caused it. You know, it's a dragon that's got, you know, a little deep intellect, you know. <laughs> yeah, because and I'm, I'm with you there. So, like, that all happens, and then it just fast forwards, like, what six weeks or something somehow like you said john just gets what friendly captured and like surrenders and they put him in a cell for six weeks i find that incredibly hard to believe i think either like you said a gray worm tries to kill him like on the spot the second he finds out about it it's over or b there's like a war between john and the winterfell guys and even Arya against the rest of them like there's something that's gonna happen there it just feels like should have happened (laughs) it it didn't uh Tyrion somehow still isn't dead yet either that one's my mind as well and here we are, Grey Worm taking Tyrion to the Council of all the Elders, and uh, all the, the wealthy people or rulers in the area. How how do you feel about how that all ended? How I'm not going to go through every step of the way, but basically, Bran is the king of Westeros, or the Six Kingdoms at least. What's your thoughts mm-hmm. on that? That wasn't, I don't think, uh, Thrones' finest moment. You know, I didn't have a problem with Bran sitting on the Iron Throne, but... Everybody else agrees to have him be king, except for his sister, and they're all cool with it. Like his sister's going to be free and not ruled by by him, but everybody else is like, "Yeah, you can rule us." You're, you're the <laughs> exactly. One. But I, I, I really, I think the problem with this season was: look, I understand these guys are going to take over Star Wars. They wanted to wrap this up. HBO offered them more money, you know, uh, bigger budget, another season, this and that. That episode two, I just got to get concerned. Episode two of this season should have been added to episode one, uh, added 25 minutes after that. Every episode was almost an hour and 20 minutes. That could have been episode one. Episode two, you could have moved to the Battle of Winterfell, and you could have at least these last couple of episodes spread it out more. That, I think, would have been better for the show in general. I think that's where... You know, everything just got the fast the fast forward button was just hit. Yeah, it was hit very, very fast. And so the moral or the, the end scheme here is Bran is in charge of Westeros. 
He has uh, Tyrion as the hand. That whole back and forth was interesting. Every back and forth with Bran is interesting because he doesn't say much of anything. It's always off the wall weird as hell when he talks. <laughs> but it was, and he's got his hand. He's got uh, Brianna of Tarth doing the army stuff. You have Bran some, or Bronn somehow back at the Maker of Coin. Um, Samuel Tarly is 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 um, he's the maester. What's your thoughts on him bringing the Book of Fire and Ice to Tyrion? Uh, I mean, is that supposed to be an ode to, uh, what's the, what's the fantasy one, the big one, with the Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings. I'm assuming that feels like that, yes. I feel like they did an ode to that. I mean, look, Bronn being the master of coin, his, basically his pitches, we're going to have brothels everywhere. Yeah. That's how we make money. Seems like a great idea. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like I said, from that point on, I did like the very end. I thought the very end, it came all full circle. I mean, we'll, I'll, I'll save that for the for uh, when when you want to get to it. But like that scene, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it was all right. I didn't have a problem with who got on the throne. It was how they decided. It. I really didn't. yeah, how they decided it was really bad. It's like okay, you have the right flair to the throne in a cell down below, and you guys are going to vote on this right here without him around. Interesting. This <laughs> is very interesting. They called it a coup in some places. But uh, that, that worked. And who had a better story than Arya? I mean, we really were talking about great stories. I was praying she would be on the. I was praying she'd be on the throne. <laughs> I thought was, she'd be you know, so awesome. She was the. She was a badass in the book, a badass on the screen. Like in the book, her and the Hound are my two favorites, without a doubt. Well, and see, but, that's what I had. You know. I had a. I had a gripe about that a few episodes back. I would have loved the Hound and Arya's ride from Winterfell to King's Landing. Like in the old days, we would have saw a bunch of footage from that. I would have loved to have seen that back and forth. Yep, you know, it's, it was, it is what it is. Star it's what Wars, it is. here we come. <laughs> yeah, because like, like, like you said, I heard today when they offered them as many years as they wanted from however much money, a limited budget. I'm like, for reals? And you guys just did this? That is horrible. But um, all right, let's just wrap it up or kind of get towards the end here. So Bran's got Westeros, King's Landing. Arya's going to go play Christopher Columbus on the West, which is cool. It was really cool to see the the Winterfell flags and ships because they don't really have those. So that was interesting. Um, you have Sansa, where I always thought she would be. That made perfect sense. She's the queen of the North, queen of Winterfell. And then you have John back to the wall, where he kind of always belonged in a weird way. Back, and he's going outside the wall with the wildlings, kind of where he's always been. And in theory, he's still king of the North, if you think about it. So they're following all the, the, the Starks are controlling all four regions in, in one way or another. That's kind of what, if you want to break it down that way. But you said you liked the last scene. What were your thoughts on the overall ending of how that all came together? Uh, well, I mean, if you go back to how the show opens up, it's beyond the wall. And so we're going beyond the wall now, which, uh, and you get to see, as you just said, John now is with, is with the Wildlands, but John is actually free. He, I don't think it's John, you know, that he's deserted or putting himself in a personal exile. It was kind of foreshadowed a couple of the episode when uh, Giants Bane tells him, you know, you you belong in the North. I'm sure we'll we'll meet again, and you know the whole thing with Ghost. You, you knew we had to see Ghost again. They, yeah, they weren't going to leave it like that. The, that was just wrong. So I looked at it as you know, John is fr- is free now. He never wanted to rule. That was never his game. He wasn't you know he he wasn't telling Danny this is my destiny and yada yada this and that. He you know. He did. He 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 ended up 
being where he wanted to be. And also, I thought it was cool how how it opened the show and they closed the show. Yeah, very, very similar way there. Um, a couple of things I have questions of, and if you have some, you can as well. But now that the, season's ra- the, sh- the show is wrapped up, I have some things that weren't answered, and I'm curious. A, who is the Night King? Very curious there. And B, with all this John being a Targaryen talk, and then it never even mattered, like, why was that even a thing? Well, let's. I'll, I'll, the, the first one was basically that had to set the rift between him and Danny. Uh, Daenerys, some of the people get, get annoyed that I'm calling her Danny. But that had to set the rift where she saw him as a legitimate as a le- legitimate threat and, you know, someone that could take what she thought was rightfully hers, even though he said he didn't want it. And, so, and it goes back to, and just the backstory of it all, of how his father, who was like considered, you know, the most noble man in the Seven Kingdoms, Ned Stark, basically kept the law, he kept the secret for all these years to protect his life and stuff like that. So if you go, and one of the things when when, um, Meister Eamon tells him that story, uh, love and duty, duty is the death of, you know. So everything comes back full circle. And what was the other question? Who is the Night Night King? I'd love to know. Yeah, it's just a, it, it was just a normal man from what I've gathered from everything from the book and from the show that the uh, children of the forest created to protect them from the okay. first men and it turned on them. Okay. And, you know, it was their creation, but it went wrong. So then okay. them and the first men had to team up to try and defeat him and all that. And so... Well, then I guess the other part would be, and this is, we'll maybe find out in a, one of the prequels or one of the spinoff shows, is what was so strong of a connection between him and Bran is what I'm wondering. I know he always had a connection to the Three-Eyed Raven. I know that, but was it just because he's the Three-Eyed Raven? Was it personally Bran? What was it that brought them together that made them such a connection? I'm curious about that. We're talking about the Night King and Bran? Yeah. Yeah, well, from what I've been able to do, Bran basically kept all the history. Uh, becoming the okay. Three-Eyed Raven, he was the world's history and stuff. And if you okay. wiped him out, you killed him, then night lives forever, pretty much. Okay. There's, there's no more, there, there's nothing like ever existed, was the kind of the concept that I got. And that's why like when he touched him that time, he was always like with him, kind of. True. All right. Well, we got some spinoffs coming up, a lot of great stuff. What are your final thoughts on Game of Thrones before we wrap this up? Uh, I think what they did as far as the casting, and and I started reading the books right after uh, season one. I, I started reading them. I read them all. And like I said, it's crazy when you think about it. The last book came out July 12th, 2011. So they pretty much got to do all these seasons. And it still isn't out, but it sounds like it's coming. It sounds like he is actually going to put these books out to be published. But I thought the casting was phenomenal. My only two gripes is is uh, Therian's sister Yara in the show. That's not her name in the book. I think it's Ara. But it either have been too confusing for everybody, so I get why they went with Yara. But I thought it would be like uh, Xena the Princess Warrior from like reading the book. That's what yeah. I envisioned. And so that cast member I was a bit uh, down on. And Uncle Euron... 
was like this the most badass pirate and he had a hellhorn that could control dragons like it should have been such a much better it should have been an awesome character he turned out to be like this hipster guy and yeah, That's it's really weird. Shit out of me. <laughs> yeah, awesome. His whole character role was weird. Even the whole scene where he just happens to roll up on a beach where Jamie's at, that just an odd whole situation there uh, on that last uh, fifth episode. So, But it's over. It's over, Mr. Matejko. Yeah. And, and sadly, this podcast is coming to an end as well. But it is always great having you on the show. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find you and what you got coming up? Uh, just on Twitter, check me out, at CTM Baseball. Over at The Athletic, you can find my writing, uh, some podcast, and uh, starting pitching rankings will be coming. I held off. I figured right around Memorial Day is, right, is, is the right time. Let these guys get, you know, let them get two months in, 10 starts, and then you can really start digging into the data. Good call. I actually have one more question. Now that Game of Thrones is over, what mm-hmm. is the next show you're jumping in on? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh Sunday nights were my favorite when it was Mad Men and Game of Thrones. Ooh, that was so awesome. now we're gonna see. I'm 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 uh, really curious to see the uh, Watchmen trailer has piqued my interest. It looks good. So there's that. There was another show I think was coming that I I thought looked pretty cool, but honestly, right at the top of my head, I'm not sure. Oh, Fourth uh, of July is. Strange, uh, Stranger Things. things. So yep. we get That'll to watch that. I guess, that's the, I guess that's the one to look forward to. <laughs> there you go. Everybody, go check out Matt on Twitter at CTM Baseball. And as always, a pleasure chatting with you, my friend. Oh, right, uh, anytime. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Always, always. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 172. Matt Modica, week five, week eight, fantasy baseball fab, and some Game of Thrones action. <laughs>